met before. My name is Abe. I'm one of the uh, ministers here at St. Mark's, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, I'm going to be uh, helping us to think through uh, our first Bible reading this morning, James and John, and their bold question. Uh, this, uh, this January, we're thinking about, did Jesus really say that? We're thinking about some of Jesus' bold statements uh, from the book of Mark, chapters 9 to 11. Uh, and so, uh, thinking about status or greatness this morning, I wonder how you'd answer this question, what would need to happen for your life to have status right now? What would need to happen for your life to have status right now? I wonder where your mind goes to. My mind goes to a few places, uh, at first anyway. Uh, I think uh, perhaps I could be a better leader in my area of work. Uh, Perhaps if I wrote a book that had fresh insights, that was well published, that lots of people read, people would think of me as a person of status, uh, an expert in my, in my occupation. Uh, perhaps if I was more well-known, uh, more popular, maybe I might think of myself as a person of status. Uh, or maybe if I spent a lot more time on Facebook, commenting on people's posts, posting myself, whether people would think, oh, Abe, he's got a lot of status because I see his posts all the time. I wonder what comes to mind for you. What do you think of for you? What might make you think that you have status among others? Does your mind think about a successful career? Uh, Perhaps being financially better off than others. Perhaps owning a home might give you some sense of status. Uh, How about uh, the ability to enjoy luxury items or experiences? Being able to tell other people, I've done this or I've seen this might give you some some social status among others. Uh, Or perhaps it's a position of power and authority and you feel that if you were in a position of power and authority over others, that might give you status and greatness, maybe fame or recognition. Uh, Now, these answers all come from a certain perspective, don't they? And it's my prayer today that we'll look beyond our own perspective of the here and now and look at our lives from a new angle and aim to be great from the perspective that God wants us uh, to be. Uh, So let um, let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do ask uh, that we would be shaped by your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Now, I think that James and John had a certain perspective when they asked Jesus their question. Uh, Let's have a look at it. They say, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Now, this is a pretty bold request. There are 10 other disciples and they say, hey, Jesus, can we get the top seats? Can we get the closest seats to you when you come into your kingdom? Now, why might these guys ask such a question, right? James and John, let's learn a bit about them. They were fishermen. They were brothers. They were part of Jesus' inner circle, which at times um, during Jesus' life, he would take just three of the disciples to see or experience something so that they could specially share it with others. So, for example, uh, Jesus uh, raised a little girl, Jairus' daughter from the dead, And only James, John, and Peter were there to see it. Uh, Jesus takes them, um, James, John, and Peter, up a mountain to be transfigured before them, before he goes to Jerusalem, right? That's James, John, and Peter in there. So that's the the inner three. Uh, So, uh, and also, the night before Jesus died, uh, Jesus leaves the other disciples some distance away in the Garden of Gethsemane, walks a little bit with James, John, and Peter, and then Jesus leaves them there and walks a little further. So in the pecking order of things... James and John are probably thinking, we're up near the, probably up near the top, right? There's only Peter we have to beat. Um, <clears throat> uh, Jesus had a nickname for James and John. He called them the Sons of Thunder. 
You don't get a nickname like that for being quiet and meek. Uh, these guys were probably pretty outgoing, probably go-getters, probably a bit loud. Um, at one time, Jesus refused entry to a town, right? So all the disciples are there with Jesus, and they go forward to try to enter this town, and they come back saying that they're refusing your entry, Jesus. And James and John hear this, and they say, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus goes, no, guys, don't be silly. Let's, let's move on, right? So that's, that's a kind of a picture of James and John and what they were like. They were go-getters, they were keen beans, thought they had a lot of faith to be able to call down fire from heaven to destroy a town. They're probably not, they're probably not proud of that now, by the way. Um, but this is who James and John were. Um, now, a little bit before this request, in Mark chapter 10, uh, in Mark chapter 9, uh, all the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. Who's the greatest disciple? Who is the one who's the greatest? And I reckon James and John have probably thought that they've won that argument. As they go to Jesus to lay claim to their seats, we want to be next to Jesus in his glory. We don't want to be beaten by any of the other 10. Uh, we want to get there first. Uh, now, this request, this request to sit at your right and left in glory is actually a pretty interesting request because I think that they had some expectations, uh, some particular ideas about the future and what the future would look like and about the kingdom of God. And these ideas, um, Jesus gently corrects them. Uh, so first expectation, uh, James and John probably thought the kingdom of God is going to come quickly in all its fullness. Right? Now, many people thought from the prophecies about Jerusalem and the Messiah and the kingdom of God coming out of Jerusalem, a lot of people, a lot of the Jews thought that as soon as the Messiah enters Jerusalem, the kingdom of God is going to come. The Messiah will have a throne and he'll begin to rule. Uh, and James and John probably thought this as well. In, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus actually has to correct them. And he tells them a parable because they think the kingdom of God is going to come in all of its fullness right away. And so Jesus, in the book of Luke, says, no, let me tell you a story, let me tell you a parable to illustrate that, no, there's still some time left. So James and John probably think it's going to come soon. Um, it's all about to happen. But in reality, the kingdom of God, in all of its glory on earth, is still a bit off for them, still a bit of time off. Uh, it's not here in all of its fullness, even 2,000 years after this has happened. We need to wait for Jesus to return uh, before he takes up some sort of throne on earth. Uh, now, it's true that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor in God's presence right now. As soon as he rises from the dead, he's crowned with glory and honor in heaven. Uh, and the kingdom of God is here now. People can put their trust in Jesus and they become a member of the kingdom of God right now. But the positions that James and John are thinking of, this idea of Jesus sitting on an earthly throne and will sit at his right and left, that's a long way off, uh, still quite a long way off, and couldn't really be taken by them anytime soon. Uh, their second expectation is that the kingdom of God will come easily. Second expectation is that the kingdom of God will come easily. Uh, Jesus tells them the road to glory is full of suffering. He actually tells them in the previous verses that he'll die and then rise to life again. Uh, but Jesus tells them, here's what it takes if you want to be by my side. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And what Jesus is saying is, can you go through what I'm going through? 
because that will make you worthy of sitting on one of those thrones. Can you drink my cup? Can you go through my baptism? Uh, Now, what's his cup? What is Jesus' cup? What is Jesus' baptism? Uh, The word cup can mean fate or future, uh, what you receive from God. But Jesus uses it to refer to God's wrath and anger. Uh, And where does Jesus experience that? He experiences that on the cross. On the night before Jesus dies in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, "Uh, Father, can you take this cup from me? Yet not what I will, but what your will, right? If it's possible. So the cup is God's wrath. Uh, Jesus' baptism, what is that? Jesus' baptism is his death and resurrection. The New Testament tells us that when we are baptized, we're we're associating ourselves with Jesus. It's like we're dying with him on the cross, And rising to a new life with Jesus. When you go into the water and you're submerged, it's like you're dying and having a new life with Jesus as king. Uh, So baptism here, as Jesus talks about, is his death and resurrection. So to put that together, Jesus' cup, Jesus' baptism, together they really represent Jesus' suffering and service of others. So when Jesus says, can you really drink my cup? Can you really go through my baptism? He's saying... How much suffering and service can you take and can you do? How much will you suffer for God? How much will you serve God? And James and John are like, yeah, 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 we can do it. We can do it, Jesus. Uh, I don't think they understand how hard it will be for Jesus or for them. Uh, Now, Jesus knows that they will not go through a cross like he does. But both suffer greatly for Jesus Both suffer greatly for the church and serve God's people. And Jesus tells them this. Uh, So Mark 10, 39, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. So they will go through similar hardships and uh, and suffering. uh, But he does say to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. Uh, Now, James, James goes on to have a key role in the church until he's killed by Herod in AD 44, killed by the sword. Uh, John serves the church. He writes the the Gospel John, uh, the fourth Gospel John. He writes John 1, John 2, and uh, uh, 3 John. And John is also exiled because of his faith to the island of Patmos, where he goes on to write the book of Revelation. So Jesus tells them, you will suffer for me. You will go through great hardship and service. And they do. You will drink my cup and baptism. Um, But the places of honor are chosen by God. It's for those it has been prepared for. Uh, Now, why not them? Are they not good enough? Well, this comes to the third expectation. I reckon James and John thought our competition is the other members of the 12. We only need to beat 10 of them. There's only 10 other ones. And I reckon because they thought they were about to stroll into Jerusalem and they thought Jesus is about to take the throne, our only competition is just those guys, right? Um, But the kingdom of God blows their expectations out of the water. It's way, way, way beyond their expectations. Jesus' kingdom is not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual, an eternal kingdom. What happens to Jesus? He goes to the cross. He rises from the dead. He sends the Holy Spirit to supercharge believers. It's discovered that Gentiles, non-Israelites, can become Christians as well. And Jesus will be glorified by all believers from all of time when he returns to the earth. 
It's a bigger picture than what James and John had in mind. Those who trust in Jesus from all of time will rise from the dead to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so James and John, who's their competition? It's every single person who loves Jesus who ever lived. Every single one of them. It's not going to be this small group of people who happen to be alive in Israel at the time of Jesus. Those expectations are far too tiny and small. The real kingdom of God shatters all their expectations. It's full of people from every language, nation, and tribe in all of history. And it's still growing as people turn to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Uh, now, Jesus turns to his disciples after this because they all get stroppy with James and John. And Jesus teaches them who's going to be great in a kingdom like this. Who's going to have the places of honor and recognition? What is greatness or status look like in the people of God from all of history? Well, Jesus tells them what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must not be like that among you. A temptation of a position of power is authority, isn't it? The desire to lord it over others, to rule to dominate, to order others around. And that's what the Gentiles did. And the disciples would have seen this in the Romans, who had power over Israel at the time. Some of what the Romans did were really brutal. A lot of it was about keeping people in line, preventing any kind of uprising, and being an authority, keeping people down. And Jesus says, that's not a picture of greatness or status in the kingdom of God. Uh, what does Jesus say? What's the true picture? He says, on the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what does true greatness look like in the kingdom of God? It's about service. Being a slave to others putting others' needs before our own. That's what defines greatness. Uh, when you look beyond the here and now of the hundred years you might spend on earth physically, when you look at the kingdom of God through the lens of eternity, being great or a person of status, it's not about the fame or recognition that you might achieve in your tiny time on earth. It isn't about boosting yourself above others or grasping at a high position for the here and now. Being a person of status or greatness in the kingdom of God is about being recognized by God who knows everything, who sees everything. He's got those x-ray eyes that Alison was telling us about before and he sees our hearts. We often think that people with status are those who do amazing things that nobody else does or people who are rich, or people who are loved, or people who are funny, or who's the most popular, or confident, or good-looking, or coolest, or successful, or who has the most Facebook followers, or Instagram followers. And Jesus says, it's not about that stuff. None of that stuff matters. The greatest in the kingdom of God are those who serve, those who put themselves last, and others first, those who love and suffer for others. And what's the model for those in the kingdom? The model for status or greatness in the kingdom is Jesus. The Son of Man came to serve. 
And how did he serve? Who did he serve? He serves those who were his enemies, those who were estranged from God, those who were helpless. And he serves us with the ultimate sacrifice of his life. And Jesus says, that's the model for how we are to serve others. How do you serve others? You look at Jesus and what he gave and what he did. He is the model for us. So, people of status or greatness in the kingdom of God, I would say they're likely to care for others. People of status are considerate, thoughtful, patient, kind. People of status truly care for others. They may provide for someone in financial need. They may call someone to see how they're going. They may visit people in need. They're willing to suffer or sacrifice for the benefit of others. There's a whole range of things that you can do to serve others. Uh, now, in, in, this, um, in this series, it does take a lot of wisdom about how do we apply Jesus' words in our own life. We all serve God differently according to our gifts, according to our means and abilities. When we want to serve others well in a way that pleases God and models Jesus... Uh, now, there's one thing that I think really prevents us from serving others in our culture. Uh, and I think that it's this. Sometimes we think Jesus' model is to sacrifice everything. So we think we need to sacrifice everything. And we get overwhelmed and we take on too much and we sacrifice everything, all of our time, money, energy, until there's nothing left. And we think, oh, this is exhausting. Or we think Jesus' model is too tough, we can't do it, and so we don't. Uh, let me share a few thoughts about that. Uh, firstly, we want to be sustainable in our serving. You wouldn't want to serve in a way that it drains your existence every single day, so you're always serving, always tired, and you don't have enough to care for yourself or those in need. Uh, for example, some, some years ago, I sat down to a dinner with some friends at college, and um, I was going through a really tough, exhausting time for me, and I, I still wanted to care for others. And I, so I sat down at the table and I said to, to my mate who was on the other side, I just, this, is, this is exactly what I did. I sat down and went, how are you? And he just looked back and said, smiled and said, no, Abe, how are you going? Because it looks like you're in a bit of need. <laughs> um, cheerful like that. And that, that's not how God wants us to serve. God doesn't want us to serve until we're so exhausted that we can't serve or help others. He wants us to serve in a sustainable way. Um, and, and we need to put thought and wisdom into that, right? Sometimes God may, may call you to serve a lot of people for a time, and you really feel the cost. And other times he may call you to serve a few people uh, really well and intensely. But he doesn't want you to all the time be, oh, I'm so exhausted I can't do anything. Right? We need to serve in a sustainable way. Uh, secondly, we want to serve true needs where we can, where we can genuinely help others. Uh, and that, that old saying comes to mind, give a man a fish and he has food for a day, teach a man to fish and he's got food for life. Right? This, this all takes wisdom to use the allegory. Some people may ask for food for every day of their lives. My question is, should we provide that food? Should we teach them to fish? It takes wisdom, right? I don't have the answers. I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on the person, the server, the servee. 
um, and also our gifts and abilities. Some of us are great at catching and providing fish. Some of us are great at teaching others to fish. And so I want to say that use what God has given. Use your abilities in serving wisely and serve true needs where you can. Now, as, I, as I've said um, a couple of times, and I'll say it again, all of this takes careful thought and wisdom, right? There's a woman who spends a year's worth of wages, so probably around $80,000, $100,000, on an expensive jar of perfume. And what does she do with that jar? The night before Jesus dies, she pours it on his feet. And the disciples come to her and say, What a waste! How much money is this? This could have been spent on the poor to help so many people. And what Jesus says about that is actually, this was the right way for her to spend it. She did what God was calling her to do with it. So all of this takes wisdom. How should we serve? We should serve in a way that pleases God. Serve in a way that models Jesus. Serving often comes at a cost. Serving came at a cost for James and John. Serving came at a cost for Jesus. So how will you serve in the kingdom of God? Uh, We've heard today that the kingdom of God breaks all expectations. It's not about the here and now. Jesus gathers all those in history to gather around him. What does it look like to be great in that kingdom? What does it mean like to be a person of status in that kingdom or great in that kingdom? Jesus says, serving others like he does. Let me pray as our band comes up. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you served us and loved us and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to be our ransom, to save us from death, to free us from our sins. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus and we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to serve others the way that he has. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Please stand. Uh, We're going to sing, I think it's a very um, appropriate song, This Life I Live.